Welcome to the podcast, Coming Forward. Coming Forward is an anonymous podcast for victims of abuse to safely come forward and tell their stories in a support group setting. Topics will rotate on a weekly basis following the readings and materials used by the support group ASCA, which stands for Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. The goal of the podcast is to normalize and desensitize some of these difficult topics in hopes to push the needle on our national conversation about sexual, emotional, and physical abuse as it relates to the legal system. Coming forward will serve as a safe and judgment-free space for the most intimate conversations so we can all speak our truth and feel a little less alone. It is important to note that this podcast in no way serves to replace any form of therapy. Participants have the option to be anonymous or state their name, and we respect reasons for doing whichever option they feel the most safe and comfortable with. This podcast may contain explicit descriptions of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse that may be disturbing to listeners. Listening discretion is advised. Today's topic is self-soothing. You can find a reading for this material posted within the notes of the episode. We will have a 10 to 15 minute presenter followed by an informal conversation around the topic. To our presenter, thank you so much for being here. We will pause for a moment of silence to gather our thoughts and feel free to start when you're ready. Sure, thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to share because actually a very significant act of self-soothing to be able to verbalize my thoughts and my feelings and share with caring and interested people in the hopes that my story and my experiences can help others. I'd like to introduce myself a little bit. I am a survivor of extreme and repeated sexual and ritual abuse in very early childhood. As a result of um, this trauma, that I experienced at a very young age. Over the past few years, I've been diagnosed with several trauma-related diagnoses, which include severe PTSD, inversion disorder with seizures and paralysis of different parts of my body, as well as DID, dissociative identity disorder, which is dissociated parts within my mind, all directly related to the trauma. And this topic of self-soothing um, is very apropos and close to my heart because in the course of my recovery, self-soothing has become really a full-time job for me. And it involves every little, literally waking moment of my life right now. Um, when I started experiencing many of my trauma-related symptoms, uh, the first step in my recovery was being able to an internal safe space, a very deep and dark place within me, because I was experiencing many trauma-related seizures and other um, neurological symptoms in my body. And in order to regulate my body and in order to um, prevent some of the seizures, I needed to be able to soothe myself when I became overwhelmed with triggers trauma, emotions, flashbacks. And until that point, which was about a couple of years ago, I actually had never experienced a feeling of safety ever in my life. And I actually never understood what feeling safe meant. And when I finally achieved the ability to go deep inside myself and find that deep, dark place where I can sense my heart my heartbeat, my heart rate, um, my breathing patterns, and what is called interoceptive awareness, 
which is an awareness of what is happening inside your body um, and what's happening inside internally, as opposed to all the other type of sensory awareness that we know about. Until I became aware of that, I never really had a feeling of safety. And once I connected to that and developed the sense of interoceptive awareness and being able to go inside my body and calm my heart rate and my breathing, with enough practice, I became able to attune on a literally constant basis to my heart rate and breathing and be able to slow it down when I become triggered. So that was very important as a first step, really being able to soothe my body and the trauma response that was happening on an almost constant basis. The next steps in my recovery um, really became uh, a serious project of learning myself. I knew that in order to heal, and at, at the beginning stages, I really didn't know what I needed to heal from um, because the trauma was so deep and buried inside of me. In order to heal, I needed to know what was inside of me and inside my mind and to learn what was happening inside me. So I began to pay attention with a very mindful presence in each state when I became triggered. I would become overwhelmed with um, emotions and body sensations, thoughts, um, and as I experienced these flashbacks and triggered states, I went very deep inside myself and paid a lot of attention to the body sensations, the emotions, the thoughts, the reasoning, the cognitive and language abilities, the motor capacities that I was experiencing in each state. And that is how I became introduced to the different dissociated parts within my mind. And I began to learn and map out my mind and through this, I discovered that emotions were very dissociated in specific parts. And I was able to experience and feel certain emotions when I was in certain states. And I did not have access to those emotions or any emotions in other states. And it became very obvious to me that I was lacking emotional flow between the parts. And it was creating a lot of disjointed experiences in my mind. And that is when I realized that one of my most important goals for recovery was to be able to enhance the emotional flow between all the parts of my mind, which was actually easier said than done, because this required a lot of learning about myself. And in order to be able to do that, I first needed to learn about emotions um, as a trauma survivor, one of the things that I learned how to do best was suppress emotion. And I needed to start learning about it and starting to feel. And the way I approached this is obviously um, therapy was a very, very important place to start learning and feeling about emotions. I did a lot of reading, um, ASPA was a very, very important part of uh, my emotional learning, and it still is. Being in an environment where emotions are shared and people are open and vulnerable, and we're able to experience what they're feeling, and I can learn from other people about emotions when it's modeled, 
that was the beginning of me being able to feel, especially related to the emotion of compassion. Um, Self-compassion was a very, very challenging um, <coughs> task for me early in recovery. And being in a group, the ASCA group, is when I was starting to be able to feel compassion for other survivors of abuse on a very, very deep level. And eventually, um, after feeling these emotions over a period of time, many months, I was able to translate um, these feelings to myself and develop a sense of self-compassion, which is still an ongoing um, goal of mine. Another step that I took in order to learn about myself and my emotions was I realized I needed to develop an intimate relationship with each part in my mind and maintain a very close attunement to the different parts within me. And I needed to be able to learn their emotions, each dissociated part who experienced these traumas. I needed to learn which emotion these parts were holding I needed to learn about their trauma memories. I needed to understand how the parts feel and why they feel that way. Because the load was so strong in each part and <coughs> so overwhelming, and it would overwhelm my body and my mind when each part was experiencing these emotions. Um, I needed to be able to share the load of emotions between all the parts of my mind and create that emotional flow. I just want to point out a little bit um, some of my ideas and my theories about emotions related to child abuse. Um, they are very, very often dissociated, which I um, visualize it as kind of like being encapsulated in this bubble of memory, exactly with the intensity that they were experienced as a child. So the terror or the shame or the horror or the <coughs> pain or the grief or the guilt or the sadness, all of those emotions, the way they were experienced by me as a very tiny child with that intensity, that's exactly how they were encapsulated and how they appear in my mind now when I get triggered into those uh, memories and states of my mind. And I sometimes like to say that these types of emotions are on a different scale entirely than your normal everyday adult emotions. Like if we would put adult emotions on a scale between one to 10, one would be the least um, <coughs> intense of the emotions and 10 would be the most intense. The way I characterize it is that abuse emotions would be like 100. They're just on a different scale altogether. The intensity is kind of like electric shock waves that run through my body, which is how I experience them. The exact state of mind I was in when I was being abused, along with the body sensations, the motor capacities, the verbal capacities, the language capacities, and most importantly, the emotions, are preserved within this very specific neural network, this part of the mind that holds the trauma memories, and the intensity is preserved along with it. The next very important step in my recovery and being able to self-soothe and self-regulate myself 
was developing a sense of acceptance. And the first way that I needed to be able to do that was I was given a number of trauma diagnoses. And I think it's a common experience, but for me, it definitely felt very, very shaming as if like I was being labeled as being defective. All of these diagnoses were um, given the label disorder, conversion disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, dissociative identity disorder. And I realized like how shaming the language is when you're when I was being labeled as somebody with a disorder um, due to the trauma that I experienced when I was a very young child. And I started to kind of reframe it a little bit. And I developed this idea of order versus disorder. I began to take away words like disorder, pathology, mental illness, etc., and replace them with order. How is my mind ordered? I was able to use the symptoms and triggered states to learn about what's inside instead of feeling failure at controlling my symptoms. I started to utilize these moments of flashbacks, dissociation, switching, um, and other trauma symptoms to go deeply into my mind at the time that it was happening to learn what is there, be in that part, use the experience to learn, accept, and understand, as terrifying and painful as it is, how is my mind ordered? And that's, that was a very important learning process for me. It also helped me take away feelings of personal defectiveness and replace it with learning and acceptance. My mind was severely injured through no fault of my own, and I need to learn how my mind was injured and how the parts were broken in order to heal and recover. So staying in a learning stance is very helpful in terms of acceptance and being able to feel and tolerate and soothe the emotions from the abuse. Also, I was <coughs> experiencing, I guess, a certain sense of shame because in terms of the mental health profession and the medical profession, there's a lot of stigma related to and uh, dissociative disorders, a lot of shame attached to it, and this is actually very unhelpful. So I kind of tried to turn it around a little bit with thinking about it as an order versus a disorder. And I started to become grateful for dissociation, which is really a natural protecting occurrence. It's the way the mind was created to withstand trauma, to enable a young child to have a functional life. Without dissociation, there is no way for a child to survive the types of abuse that I survived intact and be a functioning human being. And I became very grateful to this mechanism within the mind, which allowed me to have a life and to function. Also, I'd like to share that learning from my own personal recovery, I gained a huge amount of respect for traumatized and dissociative minds. There is a lot of wisdom in how uh, the mind is ordered and in the natural recovery process. What gets revealed and when, in what order, what needs to remain dissociated to preserve the integrity of the mind, the functioning of the human being. I developed a huge amount of respect for the complexity and for the huge amount of intricacy and wisdom in how a traumatized mind is ordered as well as how the healing process takes place with a traumatized and dissociated mind. In terms of my current work and being able to self-soothe and self-regulate where I'm 
now in my recovery. I need to maintain a constant dual attention to first what's going on inside of me, which means that I have to always keep a very mindful attention to what's happening within my body, heart rate, my breathing, my muscle tension, emotions, and which part of me within my mind are, is feeling this. And I also need to simultaneously maintain an awareness of my environment, including the emotions of the person I am interacting with and how they may trigger me, awareness of sensory triggers, loud noises, triggering lights, voices, and other trauma triggers for me. And when I do start to feel triggered, I need to take steps to either reduce the triggers and self-soothe, go to a safer place in, my, in the environment, do some calming activities, or go inside into my internal safe space where I can meditate and calm my body, my heart rate, my breathing, and feel safe inside of me. When I start to feel triggered, I need to take steps to either reduce the triggers and self-soothe, go to a safer place in the environment, do some calming activities, or go inside into my internal safe space where I meditate and can calm my body. I also really need to maintain a constant dialogue with my triggered, traumatized parts when they are present to show them acceptance and validation and dialogue with them if they're having a bad day and they're having memories or emotions that are overwhelming. I need to dialogue with them and let them know I'm paying attention and I'm listening to them while simultaneously remaining co-conscious with my traumatized parts as I live my adult life. So this has been a very complex task to be able to learn how to do this. And it's really an ongoing learning process for me. Uh, right now I can say that in terms of my life, um, it's a constant mental gymnastics to be able to stay present and functioning in my adult life. And it's quite exhausting, but this is what I need to do in order to be able to function and process the trauma, and I'm grateful to be able to do that and to have arrived at this point. I'd like to share some concrete strategies for self-soothing that I find helpful when I feel overwhelmed and triggered. Um, the first is verbalizing emotions. When early in my recovery process, I remember my therapist telling me um, how important it is to be able to talk about emotions, and I really didn't understand it. And as I go deeper into recovery, I'm realizing what verbalizing emotions actually does. It actually helps transfer the emotion across the different parts of the mind. So <coughs> emotions that are held in specific child parts or dissociated parts or traumatized parts, when they're verbalized, the, the verbalization transfers it through the adult parts, which are actually talking, and it shares the load and reduces the intensity of the emotion. And for me, I definitely feel um, a very positive effects from being able to verbalize. Uh, being in nature is very soothing for me because I feel a connection to life forces and growing things and being feeling a connection to life itself really is very soothing for trauma and my recovery. 
I find it very soothing to grow plants and participate in gardening activities. I like cooking and preparing meals with uh, a lot of produce, fruits and vegetables, which are live and have life within them. I enjoy creating beauty and artwork, which gives me a very important sense of uh, soothing and also a sense of being productive. I enjoy connecting with other people who can feel and connect, and the emotions are really important in this, specifically my therapist, other survivors, and online and in-person support groups, specifically ASCA, is very valuable for this. Connecting with my body via yoga and specific meditation practices is very vital for me to be able to self-soothe. I also use sensory strategies like deep pressure. I use a weighted blanket on my body because of how I experience and feel emotions in my body very intensely. And uh, these grounding techniques are very valuable for me. I utilize music a lot. Uh, I love country music. It has a very regulating beat rhythm, which matches well to my heart rate and is very helpful for me. I utilize journaling a lot, which helps me release my thoughts and organize my thoughts. And um, organization is very soothing to the mind, which I find is really necessary for me. Um, environment is very important to me. And some of the projects I've been doing recently is creating beautiful and peaceful places within my home in order to be able to have enhanced feelings of safety. And I use color for soothing spaces. I use low lighting. And it's an ongoing project to create um, safe, safe feelings and soothing feelings within my entire home. And finally, I... When I'm able, I like to use distraction. And some uh, aspects of that include social interactions when I'm able to, when I'm having a good day. I enjoy speaking with family and friends. And that could be very soothing to introduce um, happy feelings and joyful feelings and um, connecting feelings within my mind. I enjoy participating in culture, movies, uh, books, uh, reading shows when I'm able to. And as much as I can, I like to try and enjoy life because it's kind of giving me a goal to work towards as I progress in my recovery. And I really appreciate being able to share and thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. Um, how are you feeling after sharing all of that? Um, it feels really connecting to be able to bring all my thoughts together and my feelings and to be able to review all of this really intense work that I've been doing over the past few years. Um, would you like, since it's you and I today, um, just for people that are listening, would you like feedback from me before we go into the conversation or would you like to just kind of go into a conversation and take it away from your share? I'll leave that up to you. Yes, feedback is okay. Feedback? Um, thank you. I took some notes. I was able to get a lot out of your share. I could resonate with so much. Um, since we're at 25 minutes, I'll do, we'll stop at around 40. Um, 
I, I didn't want to cut you off because I felt like your share was almost a small novel on this in so many ways. You had so much great language. Um, there was just education component that I felt like when you were talking that somebody could really sit down and take notes of everything you were saying and be able to really apply that to their lives, like from from the beginning and when you were talking about feeling safe in our bodies to being able to learn, um, to you shared about self-compassion being an ongoing topic for you. That's something that was, I think, the strongest thing for me that resonated the most with me out of your share, just how hard self-compassion really is and addressing that. And it is not easy, like self-soothing and doing this work, like you said in the very beginning, it is a full-time job. Um, it's really hard work. Um, even though it sounds like luxurious when you start looking at some of the things like meditation and yoga and cooking and all these things, but it actually is this conscious effort to connect with your mind and your body so that you're living and you actually feel alive, like you're this person. So thank you for addressing that. It is this level of work. It does feel like a full-time job. Self-compassion is hard. Um, I really appreciate that. I, I loved that you started reframing. I started to get upset with when, for my, just in general, when you were talking about shaming with um, disorders because I feel the same way, especially with employment when I started looking at applications and it says, do you have a disorder? And then they check boxes, OCD, PTSD. And I'm like, well, of course, yeah, I have some of those things. Am I going to check that? No. So thank you for not only addressing that, but also reframing it in a positive light. I, I love your reframe on things. I love that you were able to reframe the terrible things that have happened to you and you started to say that you were grateful, that you re had respect and wisdom. You like really were able to take your knowledge and your education and all of this work and readings that you're doing and come full circle to come to this positive place where you were like, you know, thank you for all these shitty, like thank you for these terrible things. I'm now gonna make something good out of it. Um, so just really commending you for that. And then toward the end, I really appreciate you really breaking down every single thing that has helped you. I think that's really helpful to a listener. You were so detailed. I even detailed down to cooking and that the, I, I loved that part that you were like, the vegetables have life. I feel the same way when it comes to food and cooking um, and writing and nature specifically, gardening, those things feel very like healing to me in a deep way. So that also really resonated. Um, the only note I was going to make was uh, um, the word distraction and I think I just want to make sure that I was hearing that I'm not asking a question but I just I think sometimes we can self-soothe in a way that's distracting when we start compiling our schedule with a ton of stuff I don't think you meant distraction um, when you were referring to people but I think I just want to kind of put clarity around that word, that you weren't, like, distracting yourself from the work because it was clear in what you said. Like, you clearly were not distracting yourself from the work. But just kind of making that kind of point, if that makes sense. I don't know. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I like that you pointed that out because I do want to clarify. Um, in terms of distraction, sometimes it could be used as a way to avoid inner work. Mm. And is that... Yeah, and it sounds like mm -hmm. that's not what you're doing. So I just wanted to make sure yeah. that didn't come off that way because yeah. you explain all these other great things, and then I think that word might have just been like an accidental. I wouldn't want someone yeah. to think, oh, I distract myself. But that's not what you do at all. Yeah. You clearly really do yeah. the work. 
Yeah. Um, I, I was kind of using it as, um, I guess because my whole life really feels like there's trauma processing going on. Yeah. So for me, it probably is a little bit healthy. Got it. Um, to engage more with life, and that's kind of how I was using distraction. Understood. A distraction of being, like, immersed yeah, like constantly with people in my and trauma. Yes. Yeah. Um, I understood what yeah. you meant, but I wanted to make sure there wasn't yeah. any confusion. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So moving away from, from your share and just kind of going into a conversation around it for um, 10 minutes. Sure. Um, I just wanted to read a small bit from the reading. It will be posted, um, but under self-soothing, one of the most important skills for us to learn is how to emotionally soothe ourselves. Most of us never learn to self-soothe in childhood because parents who abuse are often poor at soothing themselves and then consequently at teaching their children to self-soothe. However, it is essential to our transformative process that we develop some capacity for self-soothing we will need these skills as we proceed through the various stages of our recovery so this kind of also addresses just this isn't even this isn't an option like this is something that is important it is necessary to our healing and recovery um and just going back it is really hard yeah it's to, to me it was really the hardest thing in the beginning of my recovery process to not feel shame about having emotions. I just felt so much shame that I had these emotions inside of me, that I was this person that had emotions. And I think the abuse really, because I was taught to suppress from this very early childhood abuse, that was kind of the way my mind worked, that I was supposed to suppress everything. And that was really the most freeing thing being able to accept that I had emotions and that these emotions needed to be taken care of and soothed. Yeah. One of the things I wrote down in my own notes before we met today was not feeling shame or guilt around this. Mm-hmm. Um, just saying no to even, you know, it sounds silly, but people inviting you to think, no, I'm going to take the time for me. That constant of saying no is so hard because as somebody that constantly says yes to everything, it is hard to say no and to do things for yourself all the time and not to feel selfish or guilty about it, but to feel like this is my version of self-soothing. This is my version of taking care of myself. This is my way to address my needs, and this has to be okay for me and the people around me for where I am right now. And I think that's kind of that unapologetic piece, like that's it, period. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to argue about this. That is, a, that is a huge step, being yeah. able to take that step and really feel like you deserve it. Yeah, it's hard. That that self-worth and that self-value, I think, also ties into it. Um, a part of self-compassion is self-love, right? So that is super deep in itself. Um, I don't know if, if how I know you said it's an ongoing process. I think it's an ongoing process for everyone. But there's been even moments with myself and kind of going back to basics um, similar to what you said with yoga and writing and reflecting and kind of finding myself in quiet moments like when I get really really quiet Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had this happen where you'll just start like like crying like just uncontrollably sobbing and then you'll kind of journal about it and work through whatever it was Um, but I think it's important to talk about some of this like something that I'm doing quietly that's working that is 
exceptionally healing. I see it. I see weeks go by and I see how I've even changed in my life outside of my, you know, my walls. Um, allowing that space, I think, is just really important. Yeah. Um, and reaching those spaces inside that really need to be reached. Yeah. When you're alone. Yeah. It's interesting how you talked about crying and how important that is because the the past few months is really when I was first starting to be able to cry. And, you know, that was such a huge milestone yeah. because it meant that I was starting to be able to feel the emotions that I needed to feel. And it's such a release at the same time, and you actually do, like, physically feel it, you know? It, it is a physical sensation as much as it is whatever mental, you know, journey you're also working through. Yeah, that really ties in a lot to self-soothing because I think... I think sometimes like we could think that self-soothing means to just make it better yeah. or make make the feelings positive. Yeah. And I don't know if we need to mo- make the feelings positive. If you're digging up a ton of stuff mm-hmm. and you're kind of re-uprooting everything you've ever known and replanting a whole new plant and a whole mm-hmm. new tree is kind of how yeah. I view it, but <laughs> um yeah. being able to feel what's there is soothing. Yeah. And regulating that constant that's something I love so much about yoga and meditation I know you mentioned both of them so I I feel comfortable talking about some of the things I I do as well and writing they kind of do really force you to have that present moment with your breathing and with your work and it's I don't know how long you've been doing it for um I've been doing it for I would say like five years around and seeing the process and just seeing that it's just this is just a part of my life now mm-hmm. and seeing how rich it has gotten over five years and kind of, it still feels like work, but it feels like a really good quality of work and feeling positive about that for the rest of my life instead of this chore. I think that might also feel ho- ho- hopeful. I hope for people that in the beginning, yes, it feels like you have to sit down and write. Yes. You have to go to that class. Yes. You have to force your body to sit and be quiet. Yes. It sucks. But then you start getting all these rewards Mm-hmm. And then they just get richer, mm-hmm. and then you want to keep doing it. Does it kind of feel like you're cycling around and reintegrating all of that work as you go yeah, through it? Yeah, it does kind of blend mm-hmm. in some natural way. Yeah, and things that you're kind of building stick. on it exactly. Mm-hmm. I think of it with meditation in the same way I think of yoga poses. Um, it's like I heard something once that was kind of like a T-shirt that was getting tie-dyed, and you dr- like your shirt actually today. You drop it in a tie-dye, and it has, you know, pigment, and then you drop it back in, and it has more pigment, and you drop back in, and it has more pigment, and each time, like, more and more is sticking. I feel that same exact way, the way that I view it in my brain with with yoga poses and with meditation. Each time, like, something keeps sticking and mm-hmm. sticking more and sticking more. Yeah, it feels natural. That's a beautiful analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it was Tarbarak. <laughs> it was not, not from me. <laughs> That's a beautiful oh, no. analogy also <laughs> for recovery in general. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, mm-hmm. thanks uh, Tara. So something that you mentioned um, in the feedback um, that I wanted to bring up uh, again, yeah. where we talked about the very hard work. Yeah. And I really think that really the hard work is, as as a survivor, is being able to all of the techniques and methods and soothing techniques and therapy techniques and be able to scaffold it for yourself.
yourself mm-hmm. and know yourself very deeply so you know what you need and when. Yeah. Because there's no recipe for recovery. Kay. And what works for somebody might not work for another person. What works for somebody at this time might, might not work for another time. So it's it, it really is a tremendous amount of work to be able to learn yourself yeah, and then to be able to apply whatever healing methodologies that you, you choose at the right time in the right place and the right... Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. There's so much trial and error that goes into it, and you really have to kind of get back up and get back down and keep seeing it's working. Mm-hmm. Something even not really related to self-soothing, but with therapy, a lot of people start, and it's not a good fit. And mm-hmm. that trial and error, again, piece, then they don't, no one really talks about, like, oh, well, that first therapist, that first group, everyone had their first few things that were just not good. But we don't really focus on that. We only focus and talk about what's working now, and I think people might go with these things or try these things and get discouraged. But like you just said, there's so many other things that you could be trying or working. Like every, there's not one one thing fits all approach. Um, that's really important. The amount of things you listed and the amount of things in the reading and what people can be able to find. I hope that out of you know one or two of these endless resources can can work for people. Mm-hmm. Um, Something I was also thinking while you were speaking was empowering others and getting to that point, um, which can come through ASCA. It can come through just bonds and friendships formed along the way outside of support groups. But I found it really beneficial to be able to share some of my writing, share some of my drawings, like very vulnerable drawings, share um, sketches that I have with other people. I'm thinking of one person specifically I do this with. I don't do this with a lot of people. I really only do it with one person from ASCA. But I, that relationship is so special to me and that being able to share something so vulnerable, and I think it's because it is tied to ASCA and there's a history, and I don't know if you share things. Um, I guess ASCA, we kind of are, are sharing and empowering in some way, mm-hmm. even if it's not so direct, but I think that's also helpful. I get something out of it, and you also get something out of it in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. The sharing is so vital. Um, if I could quote an ASCA member who told me that every time she goes to a meeting, it creates new neural pathways in her brain. Yeah. Because there's so much learning that's happening. Yeah. So it's kind of how you share your art and your understanding. Yeah that back and forth is creating the neural pathways and creating these mirror neurons to fire so you're sharing a lot neurologically also that's really helpful i'm i'm glad you also even mentioned really quickly the the neuro pathways um i have with me today the body keeps the score which is a i would say a lot of people at ASCA, a lot of trauma survivors know of this book this feels like the staple psychology book around some of this stuff um, but I'll put it in the resources, and it's a blend of psychology and neuroscience, and a lot of what you're saying kind of weaves in and out of this book. Um, chapter 16, Learning to Inhabit Your Body with Yoga, is one chapter in particular that I think really connects to today's reading. Um, they went even deeper than what I was aware existed, and I would reread that, reread the book again, but I would also reread that chapter again. Um, I was going to close with a quote, but I'll actually just put it into the notes. 
since we're getting short on time, is there anything else that you want to share today? I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, of course. And I appreciate all the listeners. Thank you, guys. Next week's topic will be self-sabotage. If you have any specific questions or something you're personally working with around this topic, it can be either success stories or having a difficult time with, please feel free to share by writing in, and we can work to incorporate some of these in the discussion after the presenters share. And um, any resources spoken about today will be posted in the notes. Thank you for listening.